0: So, oh, the chorus is just going. What is
1: the word? The, uh... Well, good morning. Yeah. Uh... I'm so happy to be here today. It's great. I felt so naughty. I got to sleep in. Uh, normally, I ought to be at church at like 7.30. This was great. Michael knows what he's doing. So, ah, this is so wonderful. You know, um, it's an honor to be here uh, speaking with you. Uh, you said you're not alone. You're not. Uh, we're part of a mighty family of faith here in Estes Park. You know, 10% of the Estes Valley this morning, one out of 10 people in Estes Valley are at a church who preaches the gospel, loves Jesus, believes, trusts the word of God, lifting their hearts and their hands together to God and say, have your way in me. That's awesome. That should get you excited. And uh, some at church, you have a reputation. I uh, want you to know that. It's, uh, <laughs> you're like, oh, no. It's a reputation of being a church of love. And uh, I don't think that's by accident. I think that your pastor is a man marked by love. I have, don't think I've ever met a human being who loves like, like Mike does. Unbelievable. Just. And, uh, and I think what happens is uh, you should hear him talk about you. Uh, you're not just a congregation of him. You're family. Uh, he loves you deeply. And he's a challenge for us. I think the rest of the pastors, what he brings into our lives is a reminder that what we're doing, it starts with love. And uh, just an honor to, to be able to share his pulpit this morning and to be with, with the people I know he loves so much. Uh, it's great to be here. Um, one of the things, as um, we, we talked about this one voice, what do you want to call it, initiative, drive, I, would, I don't know what you call it, the sermon series, um, that we have started, it, it's happened, it started, who was the epicenter, it was in school. Uh, and I'm sure Mike talked to you about this, uh, we meet together every week, all the pastors, and we pray for one another, because we do care for one another. And we pray for you guys, and we pray for our churches, and we pray for our community. And, uh, and we started this thing a couple years ago, uh, a combined youth ministry, uh, the Hub, and, uh, which was a miracle. And, uh, and what happened was James Carnell got to be the, the youth pastor of that. And uh, because last year was such a traumatic year for so many reasons, um, God has used that, and uh, James has been able to have a voice in the schools as, uh, they, and uh, to hear, obviously from the teachers and staff and, and students, just the darkness that has come across the, the student body. Uh, the, the number of students that are struggling with, uh, with uh, all kinds of really heavy things like self-harming, uh, suicidal thoughts, uh, depression. But not just them, the parents that uh, we see that are struggling with, with all kinds of, of heavy things, leading to, to like addiction and divorce and all these difficult things. Teachers struggling with this weight of trying to care for these kids and, and in a community that's really hit that's hard and heavy. And he said, We need to pray. And so we started praying, and God made it very clear to us. He says, We need to move. We need to do something about this. Darkness has been in the Estes Valley for far too long. It's time for the light of Christ to shine. And that's what this is about. And the thing is, is that we couldn't just do it from one congregation. And I think for far too long, that's what's happened, is we've had our own little brands. And we say, well, it's us, and we're alone in this. And we're going to reach the valley, just our little church. But, you know, when I read the gospel, Jesus said the world will know that we're his because we love one another. That's going to be the very testimony to the world that we're actually followers of a real God. Because anybody can be around people that are like them. It's really hard to be around people that are different than you and still love them. That's going to be the miracle, and that's what's happening. And so uh, this morning, I'm, I apologize, I'm, I'm a little different. Uh, um, just period. Just put that out there. Um, but, uh, and so... Uh, but I, I think that God has given us, each of us pastors, a message from his word. Uh, we, it didn't come just naturally. It was a time of fasting and prayer and, and deep meditation and saying, God, what do you want for this community? And you can tell I care for this community too. I was born here. You're my people, right? When I drive in the valley, I just love this community. God, what is it that you're going to do here? And uh, God gave me a message of encouragement, which I was kind of um, cautious about because that's my spiritual gift. When I was in college, people called me Barnabas. Well, they called me Barney, but that was from Barnabas. And uh, it's because I'm sickeningly encouraging, is what one of my dear friends called me. Um, and so I was like, "No, I couldn't be that." But no, it was. Um, but I think it 's hopefully a message that will help you know. But now, I believe very deeply in, in memorizing Scripture. I think that when you memorize the Word of God and you plant it into your heart and, and you begin to think of it, and don 't tell anybody but when you think about scripture, it 's called meditation. When you begin to meditate on it, it begins to take root into our lives, and, and then it 's there, and it helps us uh, and changes us. So I have a memory verse for you all that you 're going to help me with this morning, and it 's this. it 's uh, John 1633. And so, I'm going to do it kind of funny. Uh, We're going to read it all together. And this is Jesus talking, by the way. And then, we're going to take some letters away. And then, we're going to memorize it with just the first letters. And then, after that, you'll have a good start of it. So, this is what Jesus says. He says, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. That's in John 16, 33. All right? So, you guys ready? Want to say it along with me? Here we go. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. John 16, All right, let's do it one more time with all those letters there. Here we go. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. John 16, All right, let's take away those letters. Let's see if we can do it. Let's do it. There they go. There they go. No, they're not. All right, close your eyes. Here we go. Ready? In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. John sixteen three. Whoa, you guys are good. Oh, you've done this before, haven't you? Give yourselves a hand. What I want you to do is, uh, as you leave today, this is in your, it's in your bulletin, there's a thing there you can find in your own translation or whatever, but I want you to, to hold on to this passage, because this is courage, and we're going to talk about that today. Now... Um, Talk about the issue. Uh, we're going to be talking about encouragement, gift, whatever. So, we have to start with this. Um, I always like to start with something that's, that's real. You're going to die. Okay? All of us. Every single person here is going to die. It's, uh, it's a reality. Um, there is nobody here uh, from the 1800s, right? And if you were, we would uh, stab you with probably a metal spike or a wooden spike in your heart because you're a vampire, clearly. <laughs> People don't live forever. And we know this, don't we? We all know that we're, we're going to die. And yet, that's one of the things that freaks people out, doesn't it? It's one of those things that in our life we, we, get, we have bad health come into our life, and, uh, and, it, and, it, and it just rocks us to the core. Uh, it was said earlier I, I, I do a good funeral. I do. I preach a mean funeral. I, I'm good. And someday, <laughs> somebody's going to preach my funeral. There is a plot of ground out there somewhere that my ashes are going to be spread over someday and there's a place for you too. You understand this? Each one of us doesn't get to stay here forever. And that, that right there, I think the, 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 the mortality that we live with is something that uh, even non-believers understand. But it freaks most people out. We think about when when you get bad news from the doctor or somebody you love gets bad news or when we have a year like last year when three of our students get taken too early it rocks us to our core and we say something's terribly wrong. Duh! But it's not new and it's not a surprise. We're all going to die. And not only are you going to die but the world's going to end. It is. Right? Think of all the movies that are coming out right now, the apocalyptic type things. They're like, oh, the world's going to end. Yes, the world will end. It's promised in Scripture. It will end. The world that we live in right now isn't going to last forever. Uh, the time is coming that, that there will be an apocalypse. It cannot be stopped. And so uh, we got to deal with that. The world's gonna end. And even those who aren't believers, who don't trust what Jesus said about how the world is going to end. They know the world's going to end. They come up with all these really great ideas of how it might end. Maybe it's going to be an asteroid. I don't know. Or maybe it'll be zombies. That'll be fun. Right? Or who knows? But if it lasts long enough, we know the sun's going to blow up. It's going to end. And not only are you going to die and the world's going to end, but no one's going to remember you when you're gone. And that's just the reality it's a hard thing, I mean we don 't want to think about that. there was a this this uh, group that came out uh, last year they said this song that said uh, uh, they 're going to remember me for centuries they 're going to remember them for twenty years i 'll tell you that right now uh, i had uh when in the nineties when I grew up there was this, there's this blues band that came out, revolutionized blues music, phenomenal, called Blues Travelers. Man, I love Blues Travelers. I'd go down, watch them at Red Rocks and all that kind of stuff. Phenomenal, phenomenal music, right? And and they took blues music and put it on the top charts. They had a couple number one hits, you know, across the all the boards when people still cared about those lists. And, I mean, it was a big time thing. And so, um, a couple of uh, uh, months ago, we ended up doing this thing called... Uh, um, uh, love wins um, type thing and that was a pretty cool, uh, or love works, that was a pretty great thing and so part of that uh, we wanted to do a memory verse and so we decided to set our memory verse to music and so we were listening to 1 Corinthians 13, we're like what song should we set it to? And Blues Traveler had this song called Hook that 1 Corinthians 13 goes perfect too. And you're going to go home and you're going to read it. And you're going to say, hey, that really is good. So I call Zach, who's this young man who is my associate. a great guy. He does uh, worship stuff. And I said, hey, listen to Hook and and tell me if that doesn't perfect. And he said, what? I said, you know, from Blues Travelers. He said, who? How could you not know Blues Travelers? They were huge. I will tell you this, that fame in this world is a brief flash It is a brief flash, and we have to deal with that. I think that's a hard thing for us to to grapple with, is that uh, what do you know of your great-great-great-grandparents? That they lived. That's what you know of them, most likely. Maybe you know that they were from some continent. Maybe. You might know their names. I bet you don't know what their favorite meal was. You don't know their mannerisms, their quirks, the things that were really important to them. You don't know. Those are people in your own family. You know what I named my dog? Caesar. you know what I named my son? Thomas. We'll get back to that in a minute, but I want you to understand this. Caesar, one of the most powerful people in all of history. In fact, there were lots of them, right? Ruled an a, a, a empire that lasted a thousand years. And most of us can name like two of them, and we really don't know much about them. All they have left are ruins. In fact, if you go over to, to Rome... That's what you'll find. Ruins. That's what they have left. You go to Egypt. The big pharaohs, powerful, powerful pharaohs, what do they have? Falling down tombs is what they have. Ruins. And what about the average people? What do you know of the average? Nothing. I think we have to come. The reality is that, one, I'm not a Caesar. I'm not a pharaoh. And neither are you. I mean, most likely. It would be weird if you were. You're not going to be remembered. Your kids will remember you, but eventually everybody you know is gonna to die too. You'll be forgotten. And you say, Man, you really stink that encouraging Aaron <laughs> I think what we see is that even Solomon, who was really wise, he writes an entire book of the Bible. And it starts out and it says this It's all meaningless meaningless, meaningless, meaningless. Everything. I've tried it all. I've done it all. I've thought about it all. It's all meaningless. Everything under the sun is meaningless. And we're not the only ones that, that understand that. The, the, our culture knows this. They know they're going to die. They know the world's going to end. And ultimately, in the deepest parts of our soul, that we're not even going to be remembered. No wonder so many people in our community are under a cloud of darkness. so many, so many of our our students feel heavy and, and like, what does it all matter? And on top of that, I think for us as Christians, we know our enemy, don't we? We know our enemy. He's, uh, he's, he's powerful. And he's vicious. And he's patient. And he's really smart. And we know our own weakness. That makes it even worse. I know my own weakness. I know I'm not powerful like he is I know I'm certainly not as patient as he is or smart no wonder so many in the church feel discouraged we look at our community and we see the darkness and we see the heaviness and we look at ourselves and the enemy and everything that's there and sometimes I think we just get discouraged and we say what can we possibly do and so we do what so many people do is we fill our lives with busyness we fill our lives with so many things we don't have to think about the realities that surround us there was a, a, a great article at the beginning of the new year uh, from an, a reporter for uh, NPR, which is uh, National Public Radio. It's what the nerds listen to. So, of course, naturally, I listen to it. And, and at the beginning of the year, here's this reporter, uh, a, not a believer, and he said, you know, I'm going to make some good changes this year. One of the changes he wanted to make, he said, I need to start uh, meditating. So he's thinking of Eastern meditation, and he goes, go sit in a room and empty yourself, like that's what he wants to do. And he found he couldn't do it. It was too hard, too painful for him, and he said he realized what, what finally what the what the hiccup was, is that he said, I am scared of myself, and I am scared of reality. Doesn't want to have time to really think about things, and then he goes on because he's a good article, and, and, and he, you know, he writes to nerds, so he starts talking about these uh, these studies that colleges have done. These, um, and this was a really fascinating study, I thought, because I thought it was pretty ridiculous. They, they take these people, these, these volunteers, different ages and stuff like that, they put them in a room and they give them a stack of money. And then they attach to them a, a shock machine, and then every so often a light will turn on and then they have a choice to make. They can either push the button and give themselves a shock, or they can give away some of their money. Okay? And then whatever they don't give away by the end of their time there, they get to actually keep that money. And so they said they kept the people in the room and most people by the end of the time they had actually given away all their money. They would pay so they wouldn't have to feel the pain of the shock which I thought these are smart people, right? As I would be in that group, right? But then they said that what they did is they took a different group of people and they put them in the room and they attached the shock machine to them but they didn't give them any money. But they also didn't give them a timer. There was nothing there told them they had to shock themselves. They just had to sit in the room for a certain period of time and then once they were done then, then they got to go and they got their pay. Right? And what they found is that almost every single person eventually got to the point that they voluntarily started shocking themselves. Because they would rather shock themselves to keep their minds busy than actually sit alone and be, and be still with their thoughts. Because of the reality that we all know. We're all going to die. The world's going to end. We're not going No one's going to remember us. I mean, these are heavy things. And I think most of us fill our lives with so many things because we're so discouraged that we just stay Busy. But I will tell you something, that is not living. We were called for something different than this. But I think we need to at least look and say, you know what, it's not surprising why our culture is in the state that it is, why heaviness has fallen. I think we need to, to face reality the way that it is. Now, if you think that I'm a bad encourager, you say, well, Aaron, that's, that's really rough. I don't feel better about myself and I don't feel better about my situation. That's because that's not what encouragement is. Listen to how Jesus encouraged his disciples. That verse that we memorized there, John sixteen thirty three, right before Here's the context. Jesus telling his disciples what it's going to be like right before he leaves and goes to heaven. Right? Or, or what's going to happen next. And he says this. A time is coming, and it already has come, when each of you will abandon me and go to your own houses. Right? You're all going to abandon me. But I am not alone, for the, for the Father is with me. And he says, now I have told you these things, so that way you will have courage. Right? Or peace, depending on your translation. He says, for in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, or courage, I have overcome the world. That's, that's how Jesus encourages his disciples. So how does he encourage them? The first thing he says, you're failures. You're going to fail me. Right? right? And the second thing is, life's going to be hard. So Be encouraged. Because that's not the whole thing. He says, you're failures and life's going to be hard, but to have courage because I've overcome the world. That's where encouragement comes from. You understand something that encouragement has very little to do about making somebody feel better about themselves or the situation. That's not what Jesus... Encouragement has everything to do with imparting courage. And we need courage. Right? And that's what Jesus does. He tells us truth. Well, there's another passage. the a whole book of the Bible that was the dedicated. is like the book of encouragement. And it's First Thessalonians. And if you have a Bible this morning, I want you to turn there. It's an amazing book. And you want to turn to First Thessalonians chapter 4 because in the book of encouragement, there is a paragraph that's in there where we have two commands of to encourage one another. It's very powerful stuff. Now let me, as you're turning to First Thessalonians 4, let me give you a little background of First Thessalonians. The Paul planted the church of Thessalonica on his second missionary journey. So he's traveling through. And Thessalonica was a hub city, a capital for the Roman Empire in that part of, of, of the, the Grecian um, peninsula. Okay? Big regional hub, very powerful, influential place. He goes there. Paul goes there, plants the church, which was really cool. People started coming to Christ, and all of a sudden, persecution breaks out. And Paul has to flee for his life. He leaves early before he had a chance to fully disciple these new folks. Right? So the church is there. There's Gentiles, there's Jews, and he has to leave early, and he's really worried about the church. He says, what are they going to do? Are they going to fall apart? Are they going to fold under this persecution? And so he sends Timothy back. Timothy goes, checks out the church. Goes back, Timothy was like Paul's right-hand guy, right? And, and Timothy comes back and says, no, nah, they're doing awesome. Well, then, around the year 55 AD, uh, Paul then writes uh, this letter to them. And well, why 55 AD? Well, around 55 AD, there was this guy named Claudius. Claudius was an emperor. If he, It tells you how much you remember, folks, right? Claudius was the one who kicked all of the Jews out of Rome. And why did he kick the Jews out of Rome? Because there was a dispute between the believing Jews, the, the Christian Jews, and the unbelieving Jews who didn't accept Jesus. And they, and they were having dispute, and Claudius was, didn't understand that. And he says, I'm done with it, and he just kicks all the Jews out. So Claudius was not a real friend of the church to begin with, right? Well, 55 AD, Claudius gets poisoned by his wife. And he gets poisoned by his wife because she has a son who she wants to become the next Caesar, Right? So he dies, and here comes the next Caesar. His name is Nero, a young man. And if you thought Claudius was bad. right? Now, this time, uh, Paul is looking and he's seeing what's happening in the political landscape. He sees what's happening, and in, in, in Thessalonica was this Roman hub, and persecution was beginning to get worse. In fact, there were Christians in Thessalonica who were beginning to lose their lives for the faith. Right? And so he writes back to the church to encourage them in their faith. So they'd have courage to live for what really matters. He writes this letter. It's a phenomenal letter. We get to chapter 4. And, and we read this. It says, And now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died, so you will not grieve like people who have no hope. First, the believers who have died will raise from their graves, and then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth, will be caught up with them into the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And then we will be with the Lord forever. So he says, encourage each other with these words. And he goes on. Now, concerning how and when all this will happen, dear brothers and sisters, we don't really need to write you, for you know quite well that the day of the Lord's return will come unexpectedly like a thief in the night. When people are saying, everything is peaceful and secure, then disaster will fall upon them as suddenly as a pregnant woman's labor pains begin, and there will be no escape. But you aren't in the dark about these things, dear brothers and sisters, and you won't be surprised when the day of the Lord comes like a thief, for you are all children of the light and of the day. We don't belong to the darkness and the night, so be on your guard, not asleep like the others. Stay alert. Stay alert. Be clear-headed. Night is a time when people sleep and drunkards get drunk. But let us who live in the light be clear-headed, protected by the armor of faith and of love and wearing the helmet of salvation. For God chose us to save us through our Lord Jesus Christ, not to pour out his anger on us. Christ died for us so that whether we are dead or alive when he returns, we can live with him forever. So, he says encourage each other and build each other up just as you're already doing. I think it's a powerful passage. I think this passage addresses our reality and and just confronts it with some amazing truth that give us courage. The first one is this. He talks about death, doesn't he? I mean, he starts out, don't grieve like those who have no hope. He doesn't say don't grieve. He says don't grieve like those who don't have hope. Right? He says we're going to die. Yes, we're all going to die, but we're all going to be raised on the last day. That is the truth of God. He says, this is a message directly from God to you. We get to be raised again. We live forever. I think that's pretty great. I think that gives me a little better confidence. I don't just have to scrape by for 70, 80 years if I'm lucky. I live forever. (laughs) right? But not only do I live forever. Here's what it says like this. I don't just get to be raised again. I get to be raised for heaven. Wouldn't it be awful if, if Jesus came back and just raised you and then it's like, okay, do it again. We get stuck here with all of our taxes and crazy government stuff and, and all kinds of lousy things, sickness and pain and all the things that we do. Wouldn't it be awful if you had to live this life like this forever? I would be a little discouraged by that, but no, he says he's coming back, Right? And we find other places when he comes back, he's bringing heaven with him. Now, think of this. It took him six days to create this universe, as complex as we talked about this morning, as it is. 2,000 years making heaven. It's going to rock. That's where we're made for. That's what we get to live in, an eternal kingdom, which is really great. Yeah, we're going to die, but we raise again. That's great. That's courage. So, if death itself is an enemy, yes, it is. It's not fun. No, it is not. But it is defeated and it will be put down. And there's going to come a time when each of you and me who know the Lord Jesus are going to have our trillionth birthday. Right? We will. And we'll still be babies. And this whole world is going to seem like such a distant echo. I like this, too, that the world is going to end. It is. He says, Jesus is coming back. The world is going to end. Yes, but here's a really cool thing when he comes back. Uh, when the world ends, Jesus comes back. The separation between humanity and God will also end. Right? There is coming a time in real history when the God of creation will be reunited with creation. There's not going to be a time we're going to have to meet in churches and things like this and prayer groups and all this and pray and say, God, you know, come meet with us and have the Holy Spirit and by faith know that he's there. There's going to come a time we will see him face to face. There's going to come a time where we're not going to have to ask God, where are you? Because we will see him right there. Where's God? Right there. He came back. Oh, that's the most phenomenal thing. That, that the, the creator and the judge returns. And this is good. This would normally terrify us. It's like you, we, we're the kids with their hands in the cookie jar, all of us, right? This is what Romans 1 through 3 tells us, and we don't need it to tell us that because we've all sinned. We know this. We've all fallen short. So we're, we're doing naughty things. And then we're like, dad's coming home. And that normally would like fear, right? But he paid the penalty for our sins. He's not coming back to be our judge. In fact, that's what it says, right? He didn't come back to judge us. He chose us to save us through Christ Jesus. So when Jesus comes back, it's, it's not for judgment, it's for redemption, it's for, for reconciliation. We are saved from judgment. And not only saved from judgment, it says when we come back, we find another place, that we will be transformed, changed like we this, like sanctification process, as we, as, we, as we have this battle right now inside of us where sin wages against a new person that is in us, right? And we want to do what's right, but then we don't do what's right because we have this war going on. That war is going to end. There are coming a time when you will be completely sanctified. You are not just saved from the consequences of your sin. God has saved you from sin itself. Think of that. Does that give you hope? I mean, think of there's a time coming when you're actually going to really like who you are. You're going to be the person that you know you were always intended to be. Doesn't that give you joy? So we don't, we don't run around going, oh no, the world's going to end. We're like, oh, the world is going to end. Yes, come Lord Jesus, come. There's a different level of courage there, isn't it? You know what? This world's not going to remember you. It's what it says here. but It's okay, yes, but listen to this. Our eternal life is in heaven anyway. No one's going to remember this world. It's going to burn up. The best the most powerful people have ever been able to do to put their place into history is create ruins that kids have to study and then curse their names over. Like, oh, I have to memorize this old dead guy and all of his big old buildings. You don't have to be remembered because you'll still be alive. I think that's a pretty cool thing. Me. Like when we go to heaven, they're not going to say, hey, do you remember Moses? They're going to like, hey, look at Moses. Go talk to him. Right? But they'll do the same about us. We have lives of adventure. That's where we get to live here. We're doing things of importance. That's what it means. Like the work that I start here is not going to end. And then all that I built my life up for will eventually corrode and fade away. I live for eternity now. What I do with my life now matters because I am living for eternity now. I'm building a kingdom, not not a nation. Right? I'm not having to build a name for myself. God's already got me taken care of. I get to work for eternal things, important things today. That gives us courage. And what does this mean for us? Well, I think the first thing that it means for us is that uh, it's okay to suffer. I think you need to hear that. I think this world has told us everything that it's not okay to suffer, that you're supposed to be ashamed if you suffer. If you're going through something difficult in life, and I ask you, how are you doing? You're supposed to say, fine. When inside, you're dying. Because it's not okay to suffer because it makes me uncomfortable. Because it reminds me that I'm not doing good, or because I don't want to enter into your pain, right? We live in a world where you're not supposed to suffer. The people that are doing good are the ones that everything's going right in their life. But as soon as something goes bad in their life, all of a sudden they're mysteriously missing from the public spotlight, aren't they? And if they're there, it's only to ridicule them to make us feel better about ourselves. But I'll tell you, it's very different. This world's going to end. You're going to die anyway. We're going to have suffering. That is just a guarantee. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. You're going to have it. It is okay to suffer. If you find yourself this morning and you're suffering, congratulations, you're human. It's okay. We don't have to be afraid of suffering like somehow God abandoned us. It is okay to suffer. I'll tell you, my wife is one of the most amazing humans you will ever come across. She has a gentle, quiet courage and faith. And God has handed her something difficult. All of her life, she was really, really concerned about making sure she did things right. She always wanted to do the right thing. One of the things that, uh, that drove me to her. I was always impressed by her character. One of those things, she always took care of her, her body. You know, she said, God trust me with this. She always exercised. She always ate right. She did all those kind of things. Um, in high school, she would never even go to the parties. I don't know, she, ever, she never got drunk, never did drugs or anything like that. Always ate really good when we first got married, all that. Always organic before it was popular, all those types of things. And what happens? God hands her an illness. What are you going to do with that? So we go and we spend all of our time and money and all all of our emotional strength going to doctors who are wonderful people and have done their best. Can they find out what's wrong? They have some ideas, but not really. Can they help? So far, no. Maybe. Someday. But I'll tell you this. When that first hit, my wife and my reaction were totally different. My reaction was this, I shook a fist at God for about three years, why me? My wife sat down prayerfully and said, why not me? Now, that really made me upset for a long time. And I would go, I, I have our churches up outside of town, and we have, there's a mountain behind it where there's nobody, which is a really great thing for a pastor, because and I was able to go up that mountain, and I would climb to the top of it, and I would yell at God at the top of my lungs. And I would tell him what's what. And I was like, God, why are you doing this? This is so not fair. This is so not right. Why, are you, why would you abandon us? And you have all these promises in your word. You said you're going to do this. And we're annoying with oil. We have all this kind of stuff. What's your problem? Right? That was me. And then I, would, I would shout so long sometimes I would actually even lose my voice. And then I'd have to come down and drink tea and honey and stuff like that so I could get my voice back so I could lead a Bible study. <laughs> That's the reality. That's what pain does. I tell you this because you can't fire me. <laughs> I lived under this for three years of my life this war with God knowing that I was in the wrong I wasn't going to abandon him but I couldn't make sense of how my life was that and who he claims to be and who he proves himself to be in scripture that was a tough really awful place to be and I thought suffering was somehow wrong that God had abandoned us my wife was different here at that time she's had a lot of deaths she's had to grieve she didn't grieve like those who didn't have hope and she just grieved, and was, it was hard to lose energy and opportunity to be up for my son and to be at things. She can't be at church all the time. She can't lead the Bible studies like she's always wanted, do all those kind of things. And it's been hard, and there's been a lot of tears, and a lot of times we just sit and cry and hold each other. But well, there's hope. And what she did is she turned her suffering into ministry. And it's been an amazing thing. You know, this past year, we got to see nine people that my wife ministered to come to Christ. Now, you look at my wife. She's very shy. She's not your evangelist that goes out and preaches on the street corners. But she has a powerful ministry that is reaching people with light and truth. She hasn't said, God, why have you abandoned me? She said, God, if I'm going to suffer because you promised I would, then make it worthwhile. Now, here's an amazing thing. Because our God, he didn't promise that we weren't going to suffer. He said we're going to, but he did promise us this. And in Romans, it talks about this. Romans 8 says, he uses all of our suffering for our good and his glory. That's a promise. God says, if you're with him, and if he allows you to suffer from the brokenness in this world and the stupidity of other people and all that kind of stuff, if you're going to suffer in this life, he's going to do something amazing for us. He's going to turn it around somehow that it'll be for our good and ultimately for his glory. That's not a promise for non believers, by the way. That's if you are walking with Christ. That's if you believe in him and trust him. Called according to his purpose, that's what that promise is for. And my wife has seen the fulfillment of that and continues to. And we've gotten to see folks who would never have given us a second thought if everything was purpose in our life. She gets to talk to people in pain and say, yeah, it stinks and it's hard. But I'll tell you this that God is real and he's good. It's okay to suffer. I don't like it. If you like suffering, there's something wrong with you. Right, that's why we look forward to heaven. Heaven want we? We to suffer there. But, but it's okay if you suffer. The question is, what are you doing with your suffering? Are you holding on to it like some sick little pet? Feeling bad for yourself because you suffer? Guess what? Everybody around you is suffering. The world is suffering. That's why Jesus came. And that's why God himself suffered and chose to do it. But he showed us how to turn suffering into something amazing. So what are you doing with your suffering? That's an important question, I think. Do you have the courage to use your suffering for something bigger than just making you feel good about feeling bad? I think this passage also tells us something else. I think it tells us that it's okay to to die. In fact, that's necessary. I think in this world we spend so much time and money trying to avert death and we all know we're going to die anyway. And we spend a lot of time not even thinking about it. It's okay, we're going to die. And that's necessary. It happens. Jesus even said, if the grain of wheat doesn't fall to the ground and die, it can't, uh, can't uh, give birth a new life, it's okay. I think we have to come to a point to say it's all right for us to say in this life, it's temporary, and everything therefore in this life is temporary, which gives us the greater courage than to die to other things in our life while we're still living. That's what Jesus said, right? He said, if you want to be my disciple... Take up your cross daily and follow me. That is a call to die daily. That's Romans 12. Be living sacrifices. This is our reasonable spiritual act of worship. I think it's a very important thing. That the things in our life that we live for are the very things that rob us of courage. Think of this. They're not even bad things. Uh, You ever seen Superman? I love that movie. Um, Lex Luthor. He's bald and evil. And, uh, and he's conniving, and Superman's got all the power to do everything. And so what does is, what is, what is this evil little man do? He steals Lois Lane, because Superman loves Lois Lane. And he knows if he's got Lois Lane, then he's got Superman in the palm of his hand. Robs him of his courage. Now, is it bad that Superman loves Lois Lane? No, but it's pathetic while you're watching the movie that he's going to allow like, cities to get destroyed and stuff, so he can save this one girl. Right? You're like, where's your courage, Superman? Stand up and punch that jerk, right? But he's like, I can't. And the devil is conniving. He will take the things that you care about most and he will use them to rob you of your courage. And I'll tell you a real example of how this works out. A lot of us have great things in our lives, like relationships. We live for we want to have good relationships with people. Right? We love our parents, we love our kids, we love our friends, we love around us. And if we are living for those relationships, that becomes a thing that we're living for. That's the one thing we're not going to risk for the kingdom. If God asks us to do anything, we'll do anything for you, God. But don't risk that. What do you think the enemy is going to come after? That. You know, the crazy thing is, if we think about it, we will, so we, we won't risk a temporary relationship. Because remember, all the people that we love are going to die, right? So the relationship we have with them today is temporary. We risk, so this temp, we were so We're not going to risk this temporary relationship. I'll do everything to to preserve this temporary relationship so that it's good. And at that, I risk an eternal relationship with them. I won't talk to them about Jesus because I might offend them. So I will trade an eternal relationship with these folks so I don't risk my temporary one. Or how about your wealth? Right? We've spent lots of time, it's not bad to to work hard and to have the fruits of your labor and all that, but if you're living for your wealth and you will protect your wealth, this is, I have worked so hard for this. I will do everything I can. I'll do anything for you, God, but until this, gets, until this gets risked, right? Then I won't do it. The tragedy is is that oftentimes we cling to temporary wealth, which we don't get to keep, by the way, for eternal wealth. And I say, God, I will risk that, and so I lose courage to do the things that you've called me to do because I care about this one thing. And we trade much greater for a very tiny thing. And we never got to keep anyway. How about your reputation? Right? We want to be liked. We want to be popular. We want people to enjoy us. Right? So we'll do anything for you, God, but don't make me look like a fool. Don't let me be ridiculed. And I will protect my relationship. And I'll do anything for you, God, but don't risk that. Well, then what do I do? I get to go to heaven but I don't have a great name up there. even talks about in Scripture. Some people get up there and they're like the person just escaped the flames, right? Naked because they, they lived their lives for this world. And they're saved by God's grace through faith. But I'm, I'm attaching to this, this reputation on this earth that's never going to be remembered anyway. And I'm trading something much bigger and greater. You see, we have to have to realize that we have to die in this life. The question isn't, are you going to have to die? That's, that's just expected. What do you have to die to so you can live courageously? That's the question, I think. What is in your life right now that is keeping you from living courageously for Jesus? Because that's the thing that needs to die. I'll tell you how it looked in my own personal life. Uh, There's actually several. Uh, One is I have uh, uh, family members uh, that, that I love deeply who don't know the Lord. And they know, obviously, how I feel about Jesus. It's what I do. So for a long time, I didn't want to offend them. And so even, yes, pastors, sometimes we struggle with courage. And I, uh, a couple, well, about a year and a half ago, I was really convicted by this. And, and I had to say, you know what, God? Um, I, I love them enough for them to hate me. I love them enough to risk this relationship. And that was a hard thing because it wasn't just a one-time thing. It was like constantly in the Holy Spirit with me. Bringing that conviction, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. Praying for opportunity to lovingly share the gospel. They didn't want to just go and be like the, the guy that beats them up where they have the Bible. Bam, bam, bam. Do you believe now? Boom. That's not what I wanted to do. I wanted them to know Jesus. But it took a step of courage, and, and, uh, and it has. I mean, there have been opportunities that God's given me, and I tell, every time I get like this lump in my throat because I love my family so much. But I love them enough to have to risk them hating me for a time if I could tell them the truth. That's what it looks like. I don't know what those things are. Now, maybe it's something bad. Maybe there's a sin in your life you're holding on to and you know that God wants you to do and live courageously but you're like, no, I really want to hold on to this. Clearly you have to die to that. But what about the good things too? Are they relationships? Are they the things that you've earned? Are they your reputation? What is it? What do you have to die to? Because I will tell you this, we are called to courageously go out into this community and we have to do that. We have to have courage. We can't have the devil using anything against us to rob us of that courage. I think this passage also talks to us about this: is, is that uh, it's okay to be to be forgotten and to be hated in this life. It's okay, right? We we don't have to be remembered here. This world is going to end anyway, right? I will be rejected. You're going to be rejected. Turn on the news. And just look at how they talk about uh, evangelical Christians. Right? We're a joke. Right? And have you ever found yourself in a conversation with somebody, especially if you get out and you talk to unbelievers, which I really make an effort to do. And, uh, and when they, you know, I love this because I, I go out and I like, to, I like to play golf because I'm really bad at it and I make other people feel really good about themselves. And I'll go out, and, uh, and we'll go play golf. And, and in the summertime, oftentimes I'll be, you know, I'll be alone, so there'll be three other people, because they like to put you in fours. I don't know why golf is weird. And uh, and we'll be talking, and guys, we talk about, what do you do, right? So I like to avoid that conversation, because everybody's really friendly and chummy until they find out that I'm a pastor, and all of a sudden they're like, <laughs> you know, do uh, you know, be be afraid. Here's the thing, is that... Uh, People find out you're, you're a Christian. you are worse than that. You're an evangelical Christian, which means you have the audacity to believe that the Bible is the inspired Word of God and that Jesus is real and He rose again. And you're trusting Him. You actually have the audacity to believe such things. And they're going to believe all kinds of crazy things about you and say all kinds of lousy things about you. Shouldn't surprise you. They said those kind of things about Jesus. In fact, Jesus didn't He say that? Don't be surprised when the world rejects you and hates you. They hated me first. We expect this. It's okay. We don't care about what the people of this world say. This world's going to end anyway. I'll give you just a little clue that that the Academy Awards, right, are not a heaven-based organization, (laughs) right? But CNN probably doesn't have a post up in heaven right now. Right? The whole thing is the media is, is, tells us this is what everybody believes. This is what everybody thinks. I don't care if everyone in the world thinks one thing. I don't live for this world. The world's going to end. I live for heaven. I will live for the praise of heaven. Thank you very much. I have the king of kings and then the creator of all who says and looks at my life and he says, Well done. That is enough. I am part of a kingdom that lasts forever that doesn't just have people but has throngs of angels who threw a party on the day that I gave my life to Jesus. I don't have to worry about this world and their idea of what popularity is. This place is going down. I don't have to be the prom king on the Titanic to be happy. Right? We live for something bigger. Let the world say what the world is going to say, but let our love speak louder than anything they can say. Right? That's what we live for. So it's okay. That's the worst thing that this world can do to us is ridicule us, bully us into submission to their ways of thinking that are so godless and pointless and hopeless. I will not change my loyalty to my Lord. I will not change what the word of God says and how we should live it because that is the word of life and the power of God for the salvation of anyone, anyone who believes. There's a courage there. We will not be deterred because we know the truth. And the truth is, it's okay to be rejected. In fact, it's awesome to be in a room full of losers like me, right? (laughs) And we will encourage one another. So what does this mean for us? Well, let's recap. It starts with this. Life takes courage, doesn't it? Most people don't have courage because they don't have Jesus. They don't even want to think about their lives. They fill their lives with busyness, And all kinds of things that wear them down and destroy their bodies because they don't have any hope to handle the realities that they know are around them. But we do. We know the truth. Because courage is not something that comes from wishful thinking. It's not a pat on the back that says, it's going to be okay, it's going to get better. No, it's not okay and it's not going to get better on this earth. But we know the one who overcame this earth. And that's why it's okay. Courage comes from our confidence in God. Courage comes from our confidence in the truth that we will be raised again, that Jesus is absolutely returning, that that eternity is absolutely ours, and you can't take that away. We also know this then, that courage is for action. Look at that passage that we read in Ephesians. He says, Now, I want you to be courageous, encourage each other with things. So, what does he tell us to do? Put on the armor. Right? Put on the armor of faith and of love and the helmet of salvation. Why do you put on armor? Has anybody put on armor and then go sat on their couch? Right? Has anybody ever won a Congressional Medal of Honor for going on vacation, even with their in laws? No. Courage is for action, right? That's what it's for. When I think of courage, I think of the brave men who charged the beaches of Normandy 70 years ago. That's what I think when I think of courage. God has called us to storm the very gates of hell in Estes Park today. You have courage. It's going to take courage. We're going to have to go into this community with courage saying, you know what? If it kills me, that's okay. If I have to suffer for the gospel, that's okay. If you're going to have to ridicule me, that's fine. I'm going to love you. And I'm going to care for this community. We are going to take this town... With the power and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Right? I want you to hear this because when people hear taking things, they think of militant action and they think of it in the wrong way. Our enemy is waging a vicious war. He's killing souls, he's destroying people, destroying bodies, destroying lives, destroying families, destroying hope. He is vicious and he is awful and he is waging a vicious war. God, our Prince of Peace, has called us to wage a mighty, a mighty peace in Estes Park. It's going to cause us to do something that makes no sense. We're not going to fight like the way the world does. When people curse us, we bless them. When they stand against us with hatred, we love them. That's what we do when they come with hate. We love. When when they work against us, we will pray for them. When they thwart us and they persecute us, we will serve them. That's the way the gospel works. We are waging a mighty, a mighty battle of peace in Estes Park. We are going to overcome darkness with light. We are overcoming evil with good, hatred with love, fear with hope. We are overcoming our enemy with the power of God's own spirit and the blessed truth of the gospel. So we've got to go. We can't sit here today. In fact, look at the seats next to you. Summit has room to grow, doesn't it? Every church in our community has room to grow. God's already made room we 've got to get out there, be courageous, bring the gospel to this community, love our neighbors, and let 's see what God can do right. So what do you do with this? I think the first thing is maybe this morning you need to be encouraged, maybe you came this morning and you were held heavy and hostage by the weight of this world, maybe you are suffering maybe it's, maybe it 's your own mortality or suffering that you have, or maybe it 's somebody else or, or maybe you 're just you 're so busy you 're filling life with so many things that, so you don 't have to consider. The reality around, I think maybe for you, what you need to do is say, you know what, I need to be encouraged this morning. Maybe it's for you investing your suffering and saying, if I'm going to suffer, then God use it for your glory. And I'm going to stop saying, asking stupid questions like this, God, why me? Why you? You're a human. You messed up. You're on a broken planet. Maybe you should say, God, why not me? But what can you do with this? Because I know you promised you will. Maybe that's what you begin with. You have the courage to invest your suffering. Maybe for you this morning, it's to, it's to die so you can live courageously. Maybe it's to identify the very things in your life that are holding you hostage from doing God's work and you say, I'm gonna put those to death. As hard as that is, it will take courage. But you'll have courage because you remember this world's already temporary. It's okay to be rejected. It's all right to suffer. You're gonna be able to do it. Maybe that's what you need to do. And maybe you need to, to start living for eternity today and take your eyes off the temporary broken ship that we're on and start looking for our new home that's coming. You say, I'm going to live for that life now. Maybe that's what you need to be encouraged this morning. Live with courage. But also this passage is not about just giving us courage. Twice we're commanded in this passage, in First Thessalonians 4, to encourage one another. And so how do you encourage one another? I think the first thing we do is we have to actually care for one another, don't we? Isn't it hard to have somebody come up to you and say, oh, it'll be fine, you know they don't care about you? <laughs> it's okay. How many times have people asked me, how are things going, Aaron? And I'm pretty honest, if things are good, I'll say it's good if it's hard or so something. It's hard. And if I say it's hard, you can tell it like the terror. <gasps> and they'll be like, oh, well, don't worry, brother, it's fine. No, it's not fine. That's why I said it's not fine. I think what you have to begin with is start listening. Love begins with an ear, doesn't it? Now, how cool is it that God actually listens to us? Well, we need to listen to one another. Jesus came to this earth for 30 years, lived amongst whiny people, entered our own pain that we caused and cursed him for. He listened to us. Isn't it awesome that we know that God understands our suffering, has endured everything that we've endured, all of the temptations he gets? God listened. You know what? I think the first thing we need to do is sometimes just shut our mouths if we go into the community and listen to the pain of others. Scripture says, though, it doesn't say don't, don't grieve. It says don't grieve like people have hope. It's okay to grieve. You can say this is hard. Listen to one another, especially those in the body of Christ. Be honest and real with one another. The church should be the very best place to not have to put on a, a show. Care for one another in this way. Hear each other in our brokenness. It's all right. But as you listen and as you then have opportunity, I think we need to encourage each other with truth. One of the things that I have the privilege of as a pastor is I get to walk with families through grief. And, uh, and one of the things I've noticed as a pattern is that about a year out from when a loved one passes, it's, uh, it's very hard again. It's like you, uh, it's an anniversary and those times are very, very difficult. And so I've had many opportunities to sit with families and walk with them through those, that, that time. Is that just the loss and they remember and it's hard. But my wife wants, uh, again, she's so good. That's why God gave her to me. She was like, Aaron, you're going to fail without your wife. So he gave me this awesome woman. One time, we were, we were with, uh, um, she was counseling uh, some folks that we care about who had to had a, a bury somewhere that they, they deeply loved. And it had been about a year later. And that uh, family was grieving. And they said, you know what, we're, we're just afraid we're going to leave them behind. Like if we go on with our own life, we feel like we're leaving them behind. And I hear that a lot. It's a real common thing. My wife, filled with the Holy Spirit. Says this to her. Uh, says, you can't leave them behind. They've already gone on ahead. That's the truth. And, and I saw as this family, as they took that in, that truth. Now, my wife had been there, held them. We were there as they were crying, and we grieved with them. But at the right time, God gave them that opportunity. And she said that just, the peace. Just, they sat back and said, you know what? You're right. You're right. And it gave them courage to take one more step and one more day to start living their life for eternity, knowing that the loved one is already there. So we encourage each other with truth. You listen, you encourage with truth. And then I think that the most important thing in all this then is then to invite. You don't send somebody into the battle by themselves. You're like, okay, it's okay. You're all right now. Get back in there. I'll be way behind you. Right? Right? We invite one another to come and battle this battle together because it is a battle. It's a battle of peace that we're waging, right? But it is a battle. And you say, you know what? Uh, for those that are struggling with, with grief, we tell them truth and we say, all right, well, we're going to do this with you. We invite you. I'm going to be with you. Let's pray about this. Let's talk. As much, often as you want to talk about the person, we're going to do that together. And we're going to remind each other. We're going to go back to the Word and, and as many times as it takes to remind ourselves of the promise that we have that Jesus is coming back, we're going to do that together. And we're gonna to ask together for God to use us for something powerful. Well, for all those folks that are in the, the, the chronically ill group that my wife has helped us connect with that don't know the Lord and some that do, it's been one of those things that we go together and we say, we're gonna pray for, for healing, we're gonna pray for opportunity, we're gonna pray for our spouses, uh, we're gonna pray for families, but we're also gonna serve one and we're gonna do this together. There is power in community. There is power in love. You invite people. But you know we also need to invite people who don't have this hope. That's so what it says, right? We have to go into this community. There are a lot of people. One out of ten people in our Estes Park right now are worshiping Jesus. Nine out of ten aren't. We need to go and let them know that this world is, is gonna, they're gonna die, yeah, and this world's gonna end and, and they're probably not gonna be remembered. That's pretty much guaranteed, but it's okay because God overcame it and share with them the hope. Love them enough. Invite them to come. Have them join you for church. Let them be loved by your congregation. Let them experience God's presence and his power for themselves. Invite. We have to invite. That takes courage, doesn't it? So what are you going to do this morning? I, I find for myself I'm a procrastinator with really good intentions. Right? I will do God's work 100% tomorrow. Tomorrow. But he called us to love our people today. So here's some things that I'm going to challenge you. If you're a procrastinator like me in your notes, there are four boxes, some things that I think that I'm going to challenge you to do this week. Because I need challenges. So I'm going to see maybe you do too. Maybe the thing that you do this week is memorize John sixteen, thirty three. Maybe that's the thing that you're going to start with this week. You say, God, I'm going to plant your word into my heart until it becomes part of my life. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Maybe that truth needs to become something that's not just a theological truth out there, but becomes part of your everyday experience. So when trouble comes your way, you don't be tempted to say, God, where are you? How would you let this happen? You say, oh yeah, in this world I'll have trouble. Or to say, God, I don't know, all these things are happening, I don't have the strength to carry on. You say, no, 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 take heart, I've already overcome the world. Maybe that passage needs to be the power to remind you of God's truth so you can live courageously in this life today. Maybe that's what you do this week. Take time. Every day, go through, memorize it, say it word for word, talk about it, think about it. Maybe that's what you begin with. Or maybe, maybe you need to read 1 Thessalonians. Maybe it would be great for you. Maybe you don't have a habit yet of getting into God's word. This would be an awesome opportunity for you. Just go this week and read 1 Thessalonians. This is not a long book. It's actually a letter. So you think about when you got an email. Did you break that email up into like five different sections and say I'm going to read 20 minutes of this every day until I get done? Right? No. It's a letter. You say this week I'm going to read it. It won't take long. The most important thing though is It's true. Maybe you read it every day, get into the habit of it. But maybe you say, you know what, I need to read God's message of encouragement for the church. And as you read, pray about it. Talk to God about it. That's all prayer is. Talk to Him. Say, I don't understand this, or this makes no sense to me, or wow, that's challenging. How am I going to do that? Talk to Him. He'll be there with you. Or maybe what your challenge this week is, maybe it's not just to pray or to memorize. Maybe it's this. Maybe you need to choose courage. Maybe this morning, Holy Spirit's been convicting you something I said or something else somebody else said, and you say, you know what, this morning, I'm going to choose courage. I'm going to. I'm going to invest my suffering for his kingdom. I don't even know what that means yet, but I'm going to choose it. I'm going to be courageous enough to stop being whiny about it and say, God, use it. Or maybe this morning you say, I'm going to choose courage because I'm going to die to something that's keeping me from living courageously. Right? And there you know what it is. The Holy Spirit's convicting you. You say, I'm going to lay that down on the altar. Let it be my, my living, reasonable act of worship. Right? Or maybe, maybe living courageously is you say, you know what, there's somebody that I know needs to know Jesus and the Lord has really been drawing me to invite them and to, to share faith with them but I've just been afraid I'm going to be risk being rejected and I'm going to let my faith shine maybe you're going to live courageously maybe you're going to forgive somebody who really doesn't deserve it maybe you're going to bless somebody who's been cursing you for a long time maybe you're going to pray for mercy over somebody who's been doing horrible things maybe you're going to live courageously maybe that's what you need to do this week start living courageously so if that's what you need to do, I'd mark that. How about this? Maybe your other thing that you could do is maybe you can encourage somebody else this week. Don't wait until your life is perfect to start encouraging somebody. I will tell you the most annoying encouragers are the ones that everything's going perfect for them. If you're like, your life takes no courage whatsoever. If you're in brokenness, use it. Maybe walk along with somebody else and say, and they'll know what's going on. And they could say, you could say it doesn't matter that things are broken. Of course they're broken in this earth. But God is one. He's coming back. And maybe you encourage each other in the faith this week. I will tell you, my congregation has been phenomenal encouragement to me. They don't tell me I'm good. Sometimes they do, but not normally. But they tell me I'm loved. Right? They don't say, hey, Aaron, great great sermon. Not very often. But, but It's true. But that's okay because what I hear oftentimes is, hey, Aaron, thank you for being honest and bringing the word. Keep it up. And it lets me know just one more day, one more week, I'm going to serve Jesus. Well, you can do that. If you can encourage a pastor, you can encourage each other too, can't you? So maybe you say this week, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to ask God, God, give me the courage to encourage. Let me do that. As you think about those times, I want to thank you again for letting me come um, bear my soul with you and uh, and share this time worshiping God. Let's If if you would take this this moment and just pray with me um, as we think about how God wants to encourage us and send us in this field. Father God, to say we love you is far too small. We owe you everything. You didn't just make us. We rejected you, so then you saved us. And then you didn't just save us. God, you, you sent us your Holy Spirit to live with us, to empower us. You don't just... Take care of this world. God, you've overcome this world. You're making a new one, which is awesome. God, let that be our hope. God, I I can't say that I'm grateful for the suffering, but I'm grateful you use it. Use our suffering, Father, as your church. Give us the courage to hand over our pain to you so that you can use it to build a mighty kingdom. Father, God, I I pray that you help us to identify the things in our life that are keeping us from following you with abandon, that keep us clinging to this sinking ship. Father, I'm grateful you give us things in this world to enjoy, but let us just do that and enjoy them. Let us not cling to them. So, Father, give us the courage to let go of this world, die to this world so we can live for you. Father, we're, we're a communal people. You designed us to be that way. We need one another. We love one another. But Father, part of that is we'd like to have one another's uh, approval. But I pray that your approval in our hearts would speak louder than, than anything this world could say. Give us the courage to live for you, to live for eternity. And Father God, I pray for this Estes Valley, which you've called us to go into with love. And with forgiveness and with hope and with truth and with the power of the gospel along with the presence of your Holy Spirit. I pray that you would kick the darkness out. Father, I pray that light would shine in every nook and cranny of the Essis Valley. I pray that you would saturate this valley with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That every single person who lives here will know exactly who Jesus is and what he has done and how they can begin to have a life with him. Father, give us courage to be agents of the light in this community. As you fall heavy on this community, work mightily in us and through us. Build your church in the Estes Park. And Father, I pray as you do that, that you will send the enemy packing. I pray for the despair that he's put on this, this, this community will be turned into hope. Contagious hope. Hope. Father, I pray for the brokenness that he has wrought on this community will turn into an amazing masterpiece of your ability to turn beauty uh, from, from ashes. Father, I pray that you would do something so powerful in Estes Park in these next few weeks, months, and years that even the skeptics would have to say that you did something. And as you do it, Father, we thank you for the privilege of standing with you. The privilege of being agents of light and of hope. And being even more than that, your beloved children, you care for so deeply. So Father, give us courage. Help us to encourage one another. May your will be done, we ask in Jesus' beautiful and powerful name. Amen.